0: Live,
1: all right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the pork roll, egg, and cheese savant himself. I don't know, it's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude?
0: Oh, I haven't had a pork roll, egg, and cheese in like 30 years, and you know what some people say? Oh, I don't even know what it's like anymore. I remember what it's like, oh, it's delicious. Well, I, know and why I that still was... miss it. That's why my vegetarianism is legit <laughs> because. It's not like I forgot what pork roll yeah. egg and cheese sandwich on a nice Kaiser, oh. salt, pepper, ketchup. Oh. I know exactly what it tastes like. It's delicious. I make that
1: sacrifice every day. Let me tell you why that was top of mind. I had a bacon, egg and cheese yesterday. Hard roll, mm-hmm. the fixins', mm-hmm. No salt on it, though. And I was like, hey, this is a little salty. I don't love this. I know. Oh, take my New get, Jersey card.
0: Get into that stage of life. Yeah. Well, listen, salty. Listen. Getting an egg and cheese from a deli every morning is a thing of your twenties. Yeah. That that turns into cardiac arrest as you get <laughs> as you get older. This is listen, I understand why 70 year old why they eat like melon with like a little oh. cottage
1: cheese every morning or something. I'm about there. You've seen the kitchen. You know that I'm a big granola guy every morning. So I've got the when you throw a little salt into the granola morning ritual, it kind of Yeah, I've seen up. the kitchen, all right. <laughs>
0: little insight to a new listener of the tune-up in case when we used to shoot in studio at denny's apartment i once found a sink full of dishes in his oven rather than doing them he just tossed them in the oven to get them aside and look at the man we have before us now you know come let on. me tell you come on listening
1: audience that's growth that does not happen anymore i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very much held in line by uh you know, I'm not going to say roommate because I'd be disrespectful to a romantic partnership. But... Yeah, yeah. All right. He's still a roommate. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, glad n- neither of our partners watch or listen to this. This but... is
0: my favorite thing to do is to, to throw you off your little, your track right off the bat. Well. We're talking about Denny's personal life. You get all red in the
1: face. <laughs> this is fun. That's the ring light. It's too hot today. Well, you know. What segment people watch and come for each and every week? What's that? It's this day of music history. Okay. Do, 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 do. Heard that song in the wild this week and was like, oh, it's it's a well straight no chaser. Oh you-
0: yeah, there you go. Well, listen, I usually go old school. Sometimes sad, usually dealing with death. Yeah. I saw a nice one about Nirvana's Unplugged, but oh. then I'd have to talk about you know. Suicide and stuff. So here's what I did. I'm giving a nod today to the to the youngsters, and in, in appreciation of, you know, sometimes old people getting surly and thinking everything that's happening now isn't legitimate because it wasn't uh, the way it used to be and how it was done before. So it lacks a a certain artistic quality as a result. You know, this is generation to generation. We always see it. So today. In 2020, only a couple years ago, after nearly 178 days, 21 pilots pull the plug on the live stream for their level of concern video, which refreshed every three minutes and 40 seconds with new footage uploaded by fans. Guinness declared it the longest music video ever made. I bring this up. I just think that's kind of cool. And a little bit of a uh a testament to the fact that young people and the new generation are doing fun and cool and artistic things and something i was impressed with enough when i read it to put it in the hallowed halls of this day of music history
1: (laughs) oh man i'm 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 really surprised you brought up the 21 pilots thing because Long before I met you, long before I did a music program here on the YouTube's, I uh, I hosted a spring concert situation and uh, them in my in 2013. Long oh, before wow. they they blew up, so they had a cool two man show where they wore ski masks the whole time. Uh, I don't know if they still do it anymore, but Not sure. Not pretty sure. fun vibe for them.
0: There you go. Yeah. All right. What do you got over there?
1: Oh, I'm going to keep it relatively contemporary as well. Uh, And speaking of surly people not liking things, um, a radio station in Kentucky. So on this day in 2018... Bad start. Bad start when you say
0: radio station in Kentucky.
1: But uh, on this day in 2018, after some supporters of the Me Too movement expressed an interest in banning the song Baby It's Cold Outside, a Kentucky (laughs) radio station decided to show its support uh, for the uh, newly controversial song by playing it on repeat for two hours. Uh, they faced the uh, controversy of people began to scrutinize the situation in the lyrics written. The song was written in 1944 and describes a, uh, you know, I'm sh- pretty sure we've all heard it. A man trying to pursue a woman to come inside. Uh, the big umbrage that people took was the what's in this drink line. Um, this all happening. while well, Weinstein's scenes happening. Cosby's happening. So, uh, I think this is one of those events when we talk about a Kentucky radio station taking the stance. I'm going to have to tell future generations it was a different time.
0: Yeah, I mean, shit. It's just it's one of those things. It's like what what do you decide to to really hang your hat on at the end of the day? And you know, this Kentucky radio station decided to hang its hat on a, I don't know, date rape. <laughs> not great not great. <laughs> not great listen i just watched the first animated peter pan by accident and, and yikes something. that's a problem too i mean listen people uh have heard this song in the past and they have a certain sentiment towards it and you listen to it in pride like whatever people do whatever the fuck you want you know but uh The idea that this is what you would take a stance on of any kind is just uh, it's silly, you know, and and I uh, can just go ahead and assume what the other politics involved with this Kentucky radio station are, you know? Yeah.
1: And I'm just going to say. This is why radio is dying. Like, if they look at their advertising and lack of the next year in 2019 and the subsequent years yeah. after that, and they're like, "Oh my god, we can't make money. We're going to have to sell out to iHeart to like make do, right. and so our people can have it's jobs." Just, it's not you a good way, way to stuff. bring
0: it in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're like turning yourself into the burning yule log of radio,
1: you know? Like, come which, on. by the way, I'm a big fan of a burning yule log. Oh, but I Not, love not when it comes to yeah. No. No. Are there any songs that you would blast on repeat on a commercial radio station for two hours?
0: No, probably not. But I did once. One time, I got a gig DJing. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: It was when Alex Rosamelia worked at the Puma store at the mall.
1: <laughs> Which and,
0: mall? Uh, at the Bridgewater Commons Mall. And I uh, DJed, I think, for like six hours. And my payment, I believe, was one top, one bottom, and a pair of shoes. Great deal, you know? But the uh, funny thing that I did, speaking of spinning something, was every hour on the hour, I played a 14-minute long King Crimson song (laughs) that took up the entire side of an album. and just, you know, went and got a cheese cheese dog on a stick, (laughs) maybe a lemonade, you know. I I didn't take my – this is why I only had one DJ gig.
1: Oh, the closest I've ever come to that is, you know, the bump back music for these shows on like Sirius. And I, I got to say on on Chris's show with with Chris being there, I played you guys. I played the hold steady. and It'd be like, not bad. Not bad. Good not job bad, out of you. Not bad. Good right.
0: job. Yeah. He prefers Southside Johnny. We all know that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, you know, he's a I mean, now he's got a college student. So he's trying to stay more relevant. He still doesn't, doesn't like
0: me. still doesn't like me. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. All right.
1: I don't know how we transition from that into some somber news, but we had a, we had a, uh, a a tough music situation this past week. So three people remain hospitalized in critical condition on Friday after hundreds of people forced their way into a London concert venue during a performance by a Nigerian Afrobeat star, Shake. Uh police said that eight people were taken to the hospital after being caught in a crowd that was trying to get into the O2 Brixton Academy. Initially four were listed in critical to di- condition. Two were uh, seriously injured. People were treated at the scene. Um, the Afrobeat star tweeted right before the show, "Don't come if you don't have tickets." And then what proceeded to have happen after that? People showed up and uh, blocked the gates and pushed the doors down, trying to get in to his sold-out show. So, Benny, you have familiarity. You've played the O2 Brixton Academy. I have um, how does a situation like this happen?
0: I. It's a very special place. Uh, I. You know. I don't know much about this situation. My guess uh, is this artist is much bigger than the Brixton O2 Academy and tried to do an underplay of some kind. And it's and for good reason, you know, probably for the reasons I'm going to describe, you know, later, it's it's a super iconic place that you love to attach your name to. And um, so I'm not exactly sure of the situation, but to me, it sounds like there is some sort of you know, almost like organized rush on the doors of the venue to try to get people in, which, you know, fuck, like fuck anybody who was part of that because you're just putting any single person at the venue and and in that group, like hugely at risk. There was also some chatter about, you know, like police violence, like during the whole thing. So fuck, terrible situation. And I wish it never happened. Um, But the reason, you know, Brixton is so important You know, it is this like I remember the first time I pulled up to that venue and I was like, it's one of those ones that's intimidating because, you know, they remodeled it and sort of this art deco look. And it looks like this kind of grandstanding free thing in the middle of London. And London doesn't have a lot of stuff like that. You know, it's it's rose and it's very packed. It's an old fucking city. So it's sort of like an intimidating place. And then, you know, the history of it, uh, you know. Clash in the early 80s, the Smith's last show, the Ramones last European show was there. There's like, uh, you know, over 50 notable live albums uh, that have come out of there. And and it's it's an amazing place um, to, to change the subject to something a little more fun. Yeah. Speaking of the Brixton Academy, they have a little bit of a like a Hall of Fame club at mm. the Brixton of which artists did five shows in a row at Brixton Academy. It's like kind of a gold jacket. You want to, you want to
1: take a stab at what any of them were? Um, I'm going to the Ramones. Let's go. All of the people that you mentioned that put out the albums from there. Cause, okay. that, that, cause <laughs> you got multiple days to record the whole thing to put it together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> so you're right in one out of three, the clash, yeah. okay, this is the, the list, <clears throat> the five in a row club. Yeah. Rammstein.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Iron Maiden, The Clash, Debbie Harry, Prodigy, Arcade Fire, Nine Inch Nails, Bob Dylan. It's a very elite company thus far. <laughs> Sex Pistols. And then a couple surprises the 1975 and a group called Hard Fi. Do you know Hard Fi?
1: I'm going to guess they're K pop, but I'm going to guess that I'm very much wrong here. You
0: are? This seems like a band. This is the crazy thing about uh, England and the way their radio works Yeah, is this was a band from England Mm. who broke in England, had a couple like major hits and I guess just never really got out of the country because I I don't think I've ever heard of them until I heard this list. But that's uh, the power of the BBC and national radio for you, you know, some scary stuff.
1: What I'm always fascinated by is the American bands that like aren't quite getting radio play over there or no here. And then they get on like the BBC and then they blow up over there and they're way more popular in like England than they are over here. Like that's always fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, it happens a lot and I've seen it in even stranger situations. I remember meeting a guy at a festival, a dapper fellow who was playing kind of like old school bluesy, sort of songs, almost like uh, Jayus and Dara or something. Wore a cool hat, vest, you know, that type of fella. And he's playing a side, side show at a festival. He's playing to nobody. We got to chatting. And it turns out he's huge in France. He makes his entire career playing French festivals and French clubs. And he can't draw a single soul outside of there. Same thing as it, as it is in England. French has... Uh, um, they have a national radio policy. where I forget what the exact percentage is, but like 80%, 90% plus of stuff that's on radio has to be French music. So there's a small percentage of stuff that gets through, and somehow he got a hit. He wow. got a hit in France. And listen, you can make a career just being huge in one country, you know? So I love it. All the power to it. This is, you know, one of the... Uh, this is why they don't like uh globalism. Yeah. So so random bluesmen can't get big <laughs> in France. This is the real underlying problem here.
1: Well, if you saw our Spotify wrapped, we've got a couple countries that we're gunning for. It may not be America that we break in, but we're going to be the biggest music podcast to talk sports in Malaysia. I don't know. Oh maybe. Hey, then Australia? That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What do you think?
1: We're coming for you.
0: The Let us know. Global reach. Like, yeah. We're like David Stern. <laughs>
1: Uh, coming up in just a little bit, basketball talk. But first, Elon Musk. Oh, fun! I, I hate how much we talk about this guy recently. I, know. I didn't realize he when he bought Twitter that he was like paying to like be the main character every day. He wanted yeah. that Trump energy,
0: self-proclaimed master of the world, you know.
1: But. He's done some things on Twitter. He's done and some things. He's done some things. He's done some things, you know. Um. So Twitter has taken aim at prominent journalists, prominent American journalists. According to CNN, the social media platform uh, has suspended the accounts of uh, of a bunch of reporters. But he first made his move by suspending the account of Jack Sweeney, a Florida college student who used publicly available flight data to track Musk's private jet. So that was his first thing. And then what he went into, he later then suspended the New York times, Ryan Mack, the Washington post, drew Harrell, uh, drew Harwell, excuse me. Uh, the intercepts, Micah Flea, Mashable's map, Matt, Matt binder, uh, CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan, American journalist, uh, Aaron Rupar, um and last but not least you'll get a kick out of this he suspended keith olberman yeah <laughs> um so what a week this has been for elon musk he was uh booed when dave chappelle brought him up at the chase center uh, home of the golden state warriors when he was playing a, a show um and then he also had to sell three billion dollars in tesla stock to fund this twitter project and all that stuff so benny a lot happening obviously now this Imagine what he could have done with this money besides just like burn it for attention. Listen, (laughs) I'm not in
0: the uh, market of getting black bagged.
1: I want to get black bagged. No, just
0: Elon (laughs) Musk, you know, I really think he's great. I think he's doing great things with like cars and social media. And it's really smart, you know, and I think he's going to like do really great things. Um, He's a free speech absolutist. I believe that's his own quote. So, you know. Banning a bunch of journalists uh, is immediately, you know, hilarious and weird and scary all at the same time. I couldn't help but notice like CNN, Washington Post, New York Times and being like, "Okay, of course, Uh, you know, his reasoning. He has plenty of uh, reasoning, artificial or not, to um, supplant the other side and his sycophants to uh justify what he's doing because he says that it's putting his family in danger um you know i think if you own spacex somebody tailing you around should be no problem like shouldn't you just have like one of your satellites (laughs) like like lasering around just following your family like just in case And, and you know what's the point of being elon musk if you can't do that you should be able to Essentially, have like simply safe on your family at all times, you know, like a little camera. You can see them if someone's following, just zap them out of the sky, easy. Um, but the one thing I find interesting, and you asked the question, we talked about it before, is like, why at a Dave Chappelle show, who's recently been in plenty of hot water himself, uh, does Elon Musk get like viciously booed? And this is what I came up with. It's because he's a dork, right? Mm -hmm. It would probably be like strange to talk to, strange to hang out with. Can't really imagine it, right? Like, can you imagine anything more than like a five-minute conversation with Elon Musk? No. Like just like hanging out, you know, (laughs) like doing something normal. Probably not. Dave Chappelle's cool. He knows how to get people to, to feel a certain way. And it might be sociopathic, but it's like cultural equity. It's, it's sometimes larger than money, you know? And uh, it's the reason why, you know, Bush jr wins because he's the kind of guy you want to go out and have a beer with. So you can cover your eyes to some other shit that they do. And I think that's one of the funny, um, maybe highlights of this whole tech thing is watching dorks who in a way, like probably got to the positions they got to because they were like very, very, very good dorks get into these positions of like, you know, power and social equity and, and don't really know how to handle it very well because they probably don't know how to handle people very well. People don't like Mark Zuckerberg. They don't like Elon Musk. They, you know, they found you know, Bill Gates squirrely, like like there's always this this thing, and um I think that's what it has has to has to come down to it's just this cultural equity.
1: So for Dave though to ask is this a, a case of hey you always want to have rich friends so you bring them up for a couple minutes you build that equity the guy who's trying to go to space and stuff like that. You're like oh hey, yeah I'll bring him up at the show. Um and then you know Probably knowing this guy's gonna get booed at San Francisco, um, I mean, come on, like that's not gonna work. But you're like, hey, I- I've at least pulled in the favor from this guy because you've always you always want someone to owe you rather than you owing them. I mean, I don't know the the guy's reasoning at this yeah. point. I mean,
0: like, you know, they they I can't I can't help but put them in the same category of sort of this. Self-proclaimed like master of the universe who seems to know everything and bullies people who like doesn't agree with them. They both fall into the same category with me. So at this point, if they both like hang out in some sort of like megalomaniacal master of the universe kind of way, I wouldn't be fucking surprised either at this point, you know. Chappelle's been off on his barn for for decades as a rich man being you know cut away from a lot of things just like anybody else and who you know what's to say he's not caught up in all of it you know
1: yeah you know it, it, it's something that I, I really struggle with because like you said he has a cool factor He he has the Chappelle show and, and stuff like that how long does that really last how much does does that uh cultural cachet uh last when you start talking crazy but he's still doing arena tours and he's always going to have that i mean We saw a a guy like Carlin use that curve for a good near the end of his life, and I feel like it can kind of go either way. You can kind of uh, try to use that to speak out, or you can use it to try to line your own pockets. So I guess the choice is kind of his.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Benny, pockets got lined this week. Oh,
0: Oh, goodness. (laughs)
1: Left-hand starter Carlos Rodon is in an agreement with the New York Yankees six-year $126 million deal per ESPN's Jeff Passan. Uh, that came down on Thursday, or Don 30 was the top pitcher left on the market when he opted out of his contract with the San Francisco Giants following last season. Uh, he was 14 and 8 with a 2.88 ERA in 2020. Uh, pitching a career-high 178 innings over 31 starts. That also earned him an all-star selection. Uh, Yankees have, uh, I believe it's $522 million tied up this offseason between Judge and Mr. Carlos himself, who's going to have to work on the facial hair when he gets to the Bronx, <laughs> which I know is always a big talking point. But, Benny, are you satisfied with the Yankees offseason, or do they need to do more?
0: All right, well, let's start with Rodone, okay? Yes, please. So now I'm looking at the Yankees' rotation. Garrett Cole, Radon, Montas, Nasty Nestor Cortez, Severino. One of them gets injured. You still got the kids. You got Clark Schmidt, Debbie Garcia kicking around. Who knows? Maybe they have another journey kind of signing, you know, like someone else to to come eat up innings. Right now I'm looking at a bunch of, you know, rotations in the American League, and this is stacking up as one of the best, uh, if not the best with health. So on paper you know we start looking at Radon. The big knock on him of course is is early in his career staying on the field, but last two seasons we have 55 starts to a 27 and 13 record, 262 ERA, sub 1 whip, great control, .99 in 310 innings. Now those are really really strong numbers over the last two seasons and Considering the historical precedence for kind of a post Tommy John surgery rebound in your late 20s leading to a healthy 30s, there is historical precedence for that. And uh, often this is when a a pitcher hits a certain sweet spot. So, you know, at this age, at this point, I got to say at 27 million a year, this is a value contract considering what DeGrom and Verlander just got at their age and also troubling injury concerns. So I'm very happy as far as uh, the Yanks nailing him and, and nailing him on a deal that I find fairly reasonable considering the market. The big concern is health. He's only pitched over 160 innings twice in his career, and he'll be expected to do just that for the Yankees at this price. I mean, he's slotting in now as your uh every series number two starter right behind cole and um you know that there's high expectations but i'm i'm uh extremely happy on the pitching end for what's going on with the yankees you know they also signed tommy canely again mm-hmm. who's a, a nice addition you know getting into the relief that was already quite strong <laughs> so as far as the yankees being done i think they're mostly done on the pitching end. And now when you look at the roster, you see the holes on the offensive side, the big two things I'm seeing that, that I would be a little surprised if the Yankees did not address prior to the season is still, we're looking at shortstop. I'm still seeing uh, IKF, you know, got extended for one more year. I know Anthony Volpe apparently is close to being ready, but you know, you can't uh, expect some kid to jump up from like double A and, and really um, play uh, every every inning quality uh, for for like a World Series team. So I think that, you know, one more infield position there, especially shortstop, may be addressed and should be addressed. And then you're looking at left field right now. Do you see uh, them going into the season with uh is Waldo and Aaron Hicks as your, uh, everyday left fielder. I don't see that. Um, and I think that's where the Yankees will address it. It's kind of a natural fit to bring Ben Intendi back. Um, but talk about an injury case, you know, I'm not sure what you're going to get out of there, but I think, you know, kind of a flyer deal one or two years for Ben Intendi would be smart. And then something else in the works has to happen for the offensive side. But I mean, how could I not be pleased with the Yankees' offseason? They got to me, you know, uh, arguably the best value in a in a pitcher in a in a really, you know, not a flyer for a pitcher, a really strong uh, All Star caliber pitcher, and then got Aaron Judge back, and now you know got a couple more holes to fill, but got close to uh closer to getting to the
1: Astros level, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean he he adds to a rotation that was already fourth in ERA last year, so that's pretty crazy. Yeah. But what kind of move do you, do you want them to make? You know, there was that uh, irresponsible speculation about Tatis this past week. I I know that we texted yeah. about that a bunch. But what realistic moves do you think that they can make to kind of sew up short shortstop and left field?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's in, it's, it's like I said, I think it's a Benintendi. I think Mm. it's uh, a Kepler from the twins. Who's apparently been on the trade market. You know um, I think there's some, some loose pieces and some trades that they can make and move some stuff around, but I think we're done seeing the Yankees make a big splash. I mean the big, you know, I I think I texted you this yesterday or somebody I texted yesterday, you know, the big winner in all this is fucking Dansby Swanson (laughs) sitting there licking his chops with all these teams who were dying to spend some money and didn't get to spend enough money. You know, this is the bizarre thing in baseball right now. Tell me, you know, uh, in the NBA, you're dealing with a, a league so deep that they, you know, they could add two more teams. You know, in baseball, you're, you're really dealing with a league so thin that like marginally quality players get hundreds of millions of dollars because these teams, desperately want to spend this tv money and they got no one to spend it on yeah (laughs) and it's kind of bad um there is a huge inherent problem in baseball and i don't know i hate to bring things all the way back to this but you know there wasn't an american-born black player in the world series last year that might be part of your problem baseball you know let's uh get to work a little tony clark
1: just got one question on Swanson, and then we can move to the N- NBA. Uh, yeah. Do you think uh, Seattle and San Francisco still the leaders in, in the clubhouse to uh, try to get his services? San Francisco's out, out? obviously,
0: because okay. of Correa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I'm thinking, you know, maybe the Dodgers throw some money at him. You know, they lost Trey Turner. Uh, The Cubs still got some work to do and might spend some money on him. Or, you know, it's a natural fit to maybe go back to the Braves. So. Hmm think those are the, those are currently still the
1: options. Interesting thing to point out there too: him and his uh fiance, U.S. Women's National Team player Mal Pugh, both free agents at the same time, yeah, and both L.A. That. teams have money to spend. So who knows? Yeah,
0: listen, that's not a bad move. Yeah. Right. On, let's take our services <laughs> to Southern to California, sunny
1: L.A. You know, <laughs> you see
0: Kyle Kuzma trolling, trying to get oh back yeah. To the
1: yeah, oh I love the way the California breeze <laughs> hits my face uh oh, yeah. so, sounds just like kenny atkinson you know when Me he first was
0: oh who kenny kenny's yeah, Ken- what he's, uh, just he's chilling at a winery and so like oh i love that four days a week area. love life great tan <laughs> all
1: right let's let's talk about the warrior shall we uh mm. and and they're gonna be in trouble a little bit and mri showed a shoulder shul- oh my god here we go i saw <laughs> this and i got scared a shoulder sublux Luxation, a partial dislocation on Steph Curry. The team announced this on Thursday, and a timeline for his return will be announced in the coming days. Uh, Wode said he is expected to miss a few weeks here. Uh, Shams reported he suffered a labral injury uh, that will be reevaluated in two weeks. Uh, great Twitter account uh, for all of your injury news in the NBA. Jeff Stotts at Street Close on Twitter uh, said that the uh, the average time for this kind of injury uh, to return back. Uh, that does not require surgery is about 21 days, um, so it looks like the Warriors will be without their leader for about three weeks, um, which is 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 doable. You know, it's it's only before we get into January, February where that would be a, a nervous thing. Um, so. For the Warriors here, who do you think steps up? Uh, you know, I, I think their schedule is a little bit more favorable this time of year, which is is convenient for them. Uh, do you think a guy like Dante, actually, what can a guy like, uh, you know, Dante or Jordan Poole give them in Curry's absence?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, you just mentioned the name that the onus is really going on. And something happened last night that I think increases the onus. You know who had a game last night? Tyler Hero. You know who set the Tyler Hero market last year? Dante. Jordan Poole. Yeah. Okay. Who's making $30 million a year to kind of be exactly what they need on the other side, and Hero got less money. So this is where, like, what are you paying that guy for? You don't pay somebody that much money to just expect them to come off the bench. That's that's not reasonable. So I think this was all part of the Warriors' plan. Klay Thompson's older, he's coming off like, you know, some crazy crazy injuries. He's going to miss a little time. Steph is older, always gets a couple little bang ups here and there. He's going to miss a little time. So this is when Jordan Poole is supposed to come in and be, you know, the somewhat leader of the backcourt. So I think the onus is 100% on Jordan Poole to keep them afloat. And I say that because warriors are currently 14 and 15 um you know not a great record but it also puts them what uh you know two games out of the sixth seed and still only five and a half games out of the one seed it's early in the season and anything can happen so i think what you're asking now is guys like Poole, moody kaminga um You know, uh, and like you said, a healthy DiVincenzo who just came back to fill these minutes and essentially keep the Warriors afloat until you can get these guys back because it's all about the postseason for them now. Right. So, you know, the whole goal for them should be to keep your old big three as healthy as possible going into the postseason while ensuring you're getting into the postseason and staying out of the play in tournament. Which isn't gonna be that easy. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you're gonna need something. So I think um, you know, inherently it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, you know, you want these guys to to get some rest and, and kind of come into form later in the season. That's almost what you know, they had that big lull in the middle of last year too, and then kind of came roaring back, uh, you know, towards the end of the season. So that's how the Warriors are built now. It's now just about this you know, this plan that Myers had in place of these kids and, uh, you know, sort of these these journeymen, these younger players being able to keep them afloat when the big dogs are out.
1: Oh, I'm really skeptical in the fact that they're going to be able to keep them afloat because like this isn't even last year's Warriors team that we're talking. Yeah, yeah, there are 26 in points allowed at, uh, at a tick under 117 points a game. Uh, they're two and three on the road. T- two, excuse me, two and thirteen, 13. On, on on the road. That in, indication, in the right stretch. There. Yeah, yeah. And this this stretch, you know, they're they're in Philly on Friday night. They have not won a game on the road versus the East all season. So Ooh, tough sledding. That's
0: tough. Sledding. tough. That's yeah. tough. And then, I mean, but you look at the standings here, you know, and they're they're kind of currently fighting for position with like you know the Mavericks, who look pretty bad, the T Wolves, yeah. the Lakers, the Jazz. I yeah I could see any number of these teams slipping into the Wembignano <laughs> sweepstakes yeah. as the year goes on. So, you know, uh, the, the the idea that they can just stay stay afloat is there, but there are some serious problems with the Warriors this year. That being said, is is that mean they're going to make a move or do they have to make a move?
1: I mean, I I think that they're Got like assets. The, the pieces that they had were more valuable in the off season. That's sure. when they really should have made their move. I mean, we've kind of seen like Kaminga's been nice, but you know, you, you when you see him out there every night, you're like, all right, uh, you know, there's the value it's definitely a depreciating asset. It's kinda of like when you drive a uh, a used car off the lot. It's like mm-hmm. there goes a couple thousand bucks.
0: I you know, but you get late into the season here with the Warriors. Like yeah. Uh, let me bring up this name. Okay. You telling me uh, Oklahoma City, a um, you know Utah towards the end of the year, Charlotte. Uh, one of these teams doesn't have some interest in James Wiseman as a developing prospect over the next couple of years. Former number. Depends num- would know?
1: have to give up. Like I mean, if, I, if, and that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. like
0: the Warriors have things that'll make tanking teams lick their chops and the types of things that'll let Detroit let go of a uh, Sadiq Bay, mm. you know, uh, Utah let go of Colin Sexton. I, you know, like, I don't know. They're not going to let go of Sexton. Right. That was a bad example, but you know, there's a few loose pieces here. The Warriors could fill in if they got desperate enough and thought that this crew they have together right now can't keep them afloat. I mean, especially the Wiggins hurt too.
1: Yeah. yeah. It,
0: you know, now that we talked this out further, it's a little more critical, you know, than I thought. Maybe they do really have to make a move.
1: This is a a incredible stretch for that kind of value. Cause if you can prop up a guy to like Dante to kind of put him on, like how, what people thought of him when he he was with the bucks, you know, that second round may turn into, I mean, maybe not a first unprotected, but at least you'll get a little bit more from there. But no, I've been pondering this entire time, that Wiseman thing that you said, I think the, I, you know Utah may be hesitant to kind of get rid of guys, especially within in the conference. But a a uh, getting a a guy like uh like Vanderbilt or like Markkanen to add to that team, uh, especially Vanderbilt on the defensive end. You know mm-hmm. I, I just talked about how much they're giving up per game. That could be a something that they need there.
0: That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of assets on these uh, on these. You know now. You know, now it's getting pretty clear, like who's going to be tanking, you know, and, you know, what's to say the Wizards in Mm. another week or two aren't going to start giving up on, you know, Kuzma or KCP or, you know, some of these like veteran assets when obviously this team can't go anywhere. There's a lot of interesting pieces like that kicking around and the Warriors are one of the few, uh, you know, top teams that have assets to actually get something
1: done. And now, I think today or tomorrow, you can trade guys who you signed as free agents in the wow. summer. So a whole other, whole Heating other avenue. Heating up. Heating up. Oh, man. You brought up the Miami Heat, and I'm not going to labor on this too much. but Heating up. The, well the done. Way, the way Ooh. that... Duncan, oh, excuse me, Duncan Robinson. I got that on the brain for Sunday. Um, as a potential you mixed
0: up, mixed up no. your whites. Oh,
1: no. uh, um, the way that Tyler Hero man <laughs> is just bailing out against OKC and Houston. And by the way, when you watch Houston, they've got some guys that are like, oh, yeah. a, like I'm nice. Team. Yeah, but uh, I mean, like they they took it to my Bucks the other night. But the way that Miami is situated here in a potential Wembignana conversation. Which entering the season, you know, you definitely didn't think that, that you were going to be there. But I mean, just to get by OKC and Houston, you had to get 35 and 41 from Tyler Hero. Not good.
0: Yeah. But the, you know, Jimmy Butler's not like, like this Heat team Jimmy's without playing, Jimmy Butler.
1: Lowry. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: they just get thin so yeah. quick. And that's where, you know, you see this bench group of, uh, what, well, you know, Highsmith and Robinson and, you know, two Robinsons, I believe, yeah. um you know, and 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 in the east that's so crowded, I do wonder what the future of this Miami team. But like when you still have this core of uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam and Tyler Hero moving forward, you know, that's that's pretty close to a big three at this point with the way Tyler Hero is playing. So, you know, that's, they're in another situation, I think, like, um, uh, c- pretty close to Golden State, where they're a team, you know, that I think is going to work their way into the playoff situation. You know, Spo obviously always gets the best out of people, and I'd love to see a move out of them to to supplant some of this, or see Oladipo, you know, give some real minutes, or, you know, all these things. But I think Miami's actually in pretty good shape in the in their section of the East, which I consider, you know, they're in kind of the five to 10, you know, like Knicks, Pacers, Hawks, Raptors sort of club. And I think they're probably the best of that group.
1: Yeah. And, in the preseason, we talked a bunch about how strong that section was going to be, and you watch some of, of, of these games. I mean, like Atlanta's kind of been hit by the injury bug. A lot of these teams have been hit by the injury bug, and it just makes it – I guess it makes it anyone's contest come, like, March and, and, and April. But right now, there's some really bad basketball happening there. Yeah, there's some teams that uh,
0: I think are – you know, imploding even more than we thought. Like at this point, I thought the Bulls, the Wizards, the Hawks, the Raptors, you know, the T-Wolves, the Lakers, I thought all of these teams would be firmly right there in those middle tiers. And they're all sort of teetering on the lower tier, which I think is um, to what we said before. I think it adds to the Sort of hot stove nature the next
1: couple months, you know. Yeah, well, let's talk about the upper tier of the Eastern Conference, shall we, Benny? And mm. Robert Williams is set to make his Celtics season debut Time on Friday. Night he, doesn't like he, doesn't like he doesn't like that, he doesn't like Orlando Magic. Um, but he's uh planning to make his season debut. Um, team upgraded him uh to questionable for the game. Uh, with him coming back, you know, Celtics have been awfully impressive, not missing a a B and even kind of solving some of the questions that they faced last season uh, with Robert Williams coming back, a defensive presence like this, is it over for the rest of the East?
0: Uh, <laughs> scary, yeah. you know, like it's scary. You know, here's the one thing though, is that Robert Williams is a serious, serious difference maker on defense. And if there's any knock you could have had on Boston at all, in the early going is sometimes, you know, some defensive lapses, like, you know, they're I think like a middle, middle of the pack sort of defensive team. Um, and Robert Williams is surely going to change that. I mean, you know, you drop that guy, uh, in the middle for 20, 30 minutes a night, and he's a real, real difference maker, you know, like borderline defensive player of the year type of, uh, difference maker when he's playing all the time. But at the same time, you're, dropping a guy who hasn't played in a year into a, into a system as usual. And Boston has a very fluid and sort of beautiful offensive thing going on these days. And a lot of it is dependent on Horford being on the floor and someone who can stretch and that's the way they're used to playing. So there might be a couple uh, hicc- hiccups on the other side of the floor to get started, but you know, Boston, you know, starting with a 22 and seven record, yeah. Uh, without a, a difference maker like this and and him coming back now, you know I'm not going to say game over, but it's it's fairly terrifying what 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 this does mean. It's it sure is impactful. It, it's not yeah. it moves the needle. That's a fact.
1: I mean I think that this is a complete game changer. It's not a guy that needs to get used used to a new defensive system. They allow they're they're allowing right now the 13th most points in the league. You have to imagine. Uh, that that number goes way down. I'll be top as ten you, in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, th- they're already eleventh in, in defensive rating. So you you add him back in there. I just don't think you know you if you kind of compare them and Milwaukee side by side because that's what you have to do right now. Uh, the Bucks don't have a lot of answers. I they're they're in a the Bucks right now are in a situation where they're trying to figure out what this team looks like this year. And they're having some growing pains right now. We'll see what that looks like in January. The Celtics, on the other hand, don't really have many questions.
0: Hey, listen, let me support my boy, Brooke Lopez here, saying that the 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 Bucs have no answer for for Rob Boston? Quinn. Come on. In general. Brooke, you're looking at the defensive player of the year currently being my boy, Brooke Lopez. I'm just comparing him to Boston, man. You know, Um I'm, No, no, I understand. (laughs) No, they're a juggernaut. It's a very interesting team. But, like, I think Milwaukee is a game and a half behind. Yeah. Um, You know, they're allowing, like, 108 points per game. They're, like, you know, on all cylinders in the way they have to be. Giannis has been doing it with Middleton banged up, Holiday banged up. Still no Joe Angles, who I think is going to be a difference maker. So, uh as I do think this is going to make Boston even more of a juggernaut, I don't see Milwaukee falling too far behind. I kind of just – the way this year is panning out, it just really is looking like these
1: are the two best teams in the league. My hesitancy on the Bucs is, you know, and maybe it's coming off of giving up 140 points to the Grizzlies (laughs) last night and that horrible shooting percentage. Yeah. um, Or like them, you know (sighs) – I'm not going to say that they got worked by Houston, but it definitely wasn't great. So on the nights where they're awesome, it's really cool to see, like against Golden State, that was awesome, sure. and that was at home. But when they go on the road, it's sometimes a question mark.
0: But like you said earlier in this segment, yeah, don't,
1: Houston's
0: a tough out.
1: Yeah, they are. That's a real team.
0: I mean, you start going up against a team that's throwing out, uh, you know, uh, Jabari Smith. Sangoon and Eric Gordon and Kevin Porter and Jalen Green as a starting five every yeah. night. They're playing hard. They're well coached. Five and five of their last 10. I think Houston's gonna uh potentially play themselves over, you know, some of the teams in the West and yeah. take away their uh Wembiniana percentage because because they're too decent, you know?
1: Yeah, which my gosh, if you had Wembinana, Jalen Green, sign me up for that. Well,
0: maybe this should segue into who's actually going to get Wembignana, which is LaMelo ball.
1: Oh, you, all right. You, you want to talk about Charlotte now before we talk about how, uh, no amount of money being thrown at your nets to keep guys on the floor. Uh, cause you're the boss. You're the boss. Let's go. Lead let's lead go to lead. Charlotte. Let's go okay. to Charlotte. Why not? Um, cause that's, cause that's more fun to talk about than guys getting, uh, sitting out. So, but, uh, after missing nine straight games, Charlotte now has Gordon Hayward back. He's hopeful to return to the lineup on Friday night against the Hawks. Uh, he's expected to make a final decision during shoot-around. With Hayward and LaMelo now back, oh boy, Benny, are the boys in Charlotte ready to make a run? I mean, Liz, I-, I say I say you give it two weeks. Okay.
0: Okay, because right now you're Charlotte. You're 7-21. and 21 you're six games out of the the play-in tournament, the 10 seed. So, you know, say for instance, you, you go the next two weeks and you go six and three. Yeah. Then you're like, all right, let's play a little bit. You know, let's, let's maybe keep these, let's get this run under LaMelo. What I think is going to happen is that they're probably going to keep losing fairly consistently. <laughs> Uh, and Charlotte should basically be like one of the teams I was telling you about earlier. Like, um, I think besides for LaMelo ball and no, that's it. Yeah. Besides for LaMelo ball, why don't you just go ahead and get rid of that team yeah. piece by piece and just keep rebuilding? Cause it's not there, yeah. you know, like the bridges thing is really unfortunate. I don't know what happened there, or what his future is, but when You keep rolling out, you know, Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre, and PJ Washington and Plumley, and you know, that crew like they're just not going to win a lot of games this year. And you have assets other teams need, so I think it's uh, you know, we're about a week and a half to two weeks away from making that determination for Charlotte.
1: Well, you know, LaMelo's coming back, and that may mean offense but the Hornets allow uh, their 27th in points allowed at 117 a game. Imagine giving up 117 points a game, and then you bring in LaMelo back, and you're like, oh, all better. Yeah, that'll Steve fix Clifford, hold on, hold on. I'm just going to say this. Steve Clifford, not handling this right. I wow. think that there is a defensive team in here, but Steve Clifford is not the guy to try to unlock that.
0: Oh, okay. I thought he was a pretty good defensive coach. I mean, you know, he's calling out their effort, you know. Yeah. You know, he's probably done soon, too, Mr. Clifford, you know.
1: There was a – he laid into them. There was a sound in, like, the post-game press conference where he, like, talked about, you know, their lack of effort. And because he's an old guy trying to coach 20-year-old, that's not going to work in any environment. Listen,
0: listen, there should be a new category of player, okay? I just went and saw the Hornets play the Nets. Okay, Yeah. And they're giving a guy, they're giving Kelly Oubre 40 minutes a night. Kelly Oubre is in that same category as like Karis Levert, you know, where I don't know what we should name this. We we need an award for this guy, (laughs) but the person you could run out there for the most minutes who plays a full game, who looks pretty good, but just never helps, you know, Kelly Oubre might be the king of that category. Of somebody who just goes out there, eats minutes, does cool things, but never helps the team win. What should that be called?
1: I'm trying to think. In in honor of the NBA naming every award yeah, after exactly. somebody in the history, yeah. is
0: that the Latrell Sprewell
1: Award? Yeah, it
0: might be the spree. <laughs> might be the spree. The annual Sprewell Award. I like
1: that. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's cross the river. You know, we talked about the Knicks. We talked about Spree. Well, let's get to your Brooklyn Nets real quick. Uh, They've been five, 25,000, which I'm sure Joe Sye is shaking in his boots over how he's going to cover that that. uh, for failing to comply with league policy about the uh, governing injury reporting, which is now big because of the betting. The fine comes in the wake of the Nets resting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and a slew of other players on December 10th um, on the second night of a back-to-back. I uh, believe they won that game, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The Nets ended up resting Ben Simmons, Nick Clasting, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and TJ Warren. Yeah, that was the the win over Indiana. Oh, so uh, a big to-do about nothing. They ended up winning. They, they, they gave the fans something to see. Uh, yeah. Did the NBA uh, make a mistake here by only tw- charging $25,000 as compared to something a lot bigger, if, if they want their guys out there? Yeah, I mean, I think
0: this is, like, one of those, like, uh tampering penalties that used to get you know put out there which is sort of just a show it's kind of to to tell those indiana fans like yeah we saw it sorry but the actual thing doesn't mean anything and if you uh went to joe side before the beginning of the year and you're like hey six times during the year i'm gonna sit out every player it's gonna cost you 150 grand and then everyone's going to be super healthy for the playoffs. Like, you okay with that? What do you think he's going to say? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, so this is like a simple business decision. Like, if that's the only penalty for that, then you're going to keep doing it. Um. So, yeah, I think it's a, you know, a silly slap on the wrist. Listen, I have to buy. It. I'm not going to say I directly buy, but I know what it costs to put like 11 people on a plane. You know? Yeah. I do. When the Nets travel around, how many people are they putting on a plate? A lot more than that. 30, 40, 50. Like, I don't know. Oh, all sure. that gear. Like, all the stuff. $25,000 is covering, like, a portion <laughs> of one travel night for the Nets. Like, like the kind of money we're talking about is insane. So, 25 grand to them. It's literally, it's fucking dinner. It's chump change. It means yeah. nothing. So, um, but at the same time the same thing applies as it did when popovich kind of started this is there are people in indiana who get the chance to see their favorite players once a year you know they they might have bought tickets 9 months ago knowing kevin durant's coming to town it's got nothing to do with the nets you know knowing kyrie irving's coming to town knowing joe harris is coming to <laughs> town like and that's the sad thing like i'm a fan And I deal with this stuff, too. And I've showed up to games where I've been like, oh, fuck, you serious? They're not playing Like that's bullshit. I just came out, you know, so I don't know what the answer to this is. Really, the answer is, uh, as we know, probably a shortened season or something that's never going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer to this constant dilemma is, but I see both sides. It's like if I was a team, I would continue operating this way because it's currently the smart way to operate, and doing it this way doesn't cost that much.
1: You know, they instituted a rule back in 2020 that if you're on a nationally televised game, this uh, fine is $100,000. So smart on the Nets. You know, they pick a right. winnable game where they can rest guys. Yeah. Plus, it's not like Tyrese Halliburton wasn't out there for Indiana. Indiana, what's your excuse?
0: I mean, listen. You give Cam Thomas forty minutes a night. You see what happens
1: <laughs> let him cook. every time. Let him cook <laughs> every time. Let Cam cook. Come on. I love like four months ago when he was questioning Steve Nash at Summer League. We were killing him. Yeah. Now you're like, let Cam cook. I let love Cam it. cook. <laughs> all right. Plenty of ways getting contact with the show. That's all we got, right? I think yeah. That's we're all good. That's we're good. Talk. We're right. good. Anyways, get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two p's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, Tune Up HQ, Twitter, I know, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, if you want to follow us, subscribe on YouTube like you're doing right now. Thank you very much for watching. A lot of great stuff coming to you there. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. Uh, maybe a little, uh Maybe Instagram exclusives from Benny coming up. Who knows? Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, got anything else?
0: I'm sorry to say my ample government contracts will not allow me to get a TikTok, but
1: maybe if someone makes
0: something new, okay?
1: <laughs> Let's just say you are readily available on TikTok if people want a deep fake Benny Horowitz. <laughs> but the material's there. All right. Thanks, the, sh- <laughs> the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune-up. <laughs>